This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, January 5th, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. The world is improving across most vital metrics and has been for a long time. Psychologist and Harvard professor Steven Pinker has studied these trends extensively for various books. We spoke following a Cato Institute event for humanprogress.org. In 2012 or 2013, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff General Martin Dempsey told the Senate Armed Services Committee, quote, I will personally attest to the fact that the world is more dangerous than it has ever been. And most people don't really question that. What do you say to Martin Dempsey and the people who would be likely to believe what he says? More dangerous than the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962? More dangerous than 1941 when Hitler was overrunning Europe? I mean, this is an astonishing statement. But it's, it's not that surprising because in every era, people say it's the most dangerous time in the history of the, uh, the human race. Uh, even in the 1990s, where uh, a lot of us fondly remember that as a time after the fall of the uh, Soviet empire and a time of uh, prosperity and relative peace, you had a cover story of the Atlantic saying that the world was going to fall apart, that the southern regions of the United States were going to join Mexico, that African Americans were going to revolt against white America and in sympathy with their brethren in Africa, that Brazil was going to fall apart, that India was going to fall apart. This is a cover story in the Atlantic Monthly, so uh, during a relatively peaceful time. So it just shows that uh, that commentators are, are always saying that, that we're living in the most dangerous time ever. I know a lot of uh, young people who watch the news and they say, I don't know if I want to have kids because we live in such a, a dangerous world. Why, uh, if you're correct, and I think you are, why do we cling to this idea and why is, does this idea have such currency? Yeah, it is remarkable. People did have kids during the Second World War, for example, when, uh, when uh, people worldwide were being killed at a rate of 300 per 100,000 per year. Uh, since then, in the 1950s, the early 1950s, the rate was uh, up in the uh, teens. Then it fell into the single digits by the uh, 70s and 80s. Um, then it fell to less than one per 100,000 per year uh, in the uh, first decade of the 21st century. Uh, in the last year, because of the Syrian civil war, it has crept up a bit from about, say, half of a person per 100,000 per year to one per 100,000 per year. So there's a sense in which it, it's a doubling, but it's a doubling to what is still by historical standards a remarkable low. There's some parts of the world that are, are uh, quite you know, nasty and ugly. Uh, and of course, those are the ones that make the news. The parts of the world that are at peace don't attract headlines. You just never see a reporter saying, here I am on the street of streets of uh, the capital of Angola, and uh, there's no civil war. <laughs> but a few years, a few decades ago, uh, there would have been a civil war there. Now that there isn't, it, by definition, it's not news. So many people make peace like an overt part of their lives. A lot of activists, I'm a Quaker, so a lot of the people that I attend meeting with are uh, overtly about peace. But I find uh, a lot of these same people who make peace such a high priority in their lives uh, also have very strong priors against free markets, against capitalism more broadly. What would you have to say to people like that? And what has been the role of trade and capitalism in global violence? You know, probably on average, although not, uh, not without exception, on average, um, free markets tend to correlate with peace to such an extent that there is a debate in the international relations literature over whether the 
famous democratic piece, the fact that democracies don't fight each other, might actually be a capitalist piece. That is, the capitalist countries tend not to fight each other for uh, the obvious reason that uh, you don't attack your customers, you don't attack your suppliers. Uh, if, you, if it's cheaper to buy things than to steal them, then plunder becomes less attractive as, a, as an option. Now, the, 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 uh, the final uh, tally is not in, and the regression wonks uh, go back and forth as to whether it's democracy or capitalism that is the, uh, the, the major force, or international organizations belonging to um, treaty organizations, uh, organizations like the United Nations, ad hoc peacekeeping forces. That's a third factor that tends to, to drive uh, uh, the rate of violent conflict down. Because they tend to be correlated with each other, uh, capitalist countries are often, but not always, democratic and vice versa, and they also tend to be better behaved members of the international community. You have to do some statistical trickery to figure out which of those three is doing the work. Probably all three are, but the fact that the debate is being uh, held shows that um, markets do seem to be a contributor to, to peace. So you'd say it's like a, it's a chicken and egg problem in a sense? It's, it's kind of the typical social science tangle where everything is correlated with everything else. And so you look, try to look for a little bit of variance that's not correlated with everything else to see if that's what's driving the, uh, the, the variable that you're interested in, in this case, likelihood of, of uh, armed conflict. But in, uh, you know, in general, but not always, I don't think that if the whole world became capitalist, war would come to an end. But in general, if you're engaged in a lot of uh, international trade, if you're more interested in uh, prosperity for your citizens than in national or racial or religious glory uh, or in rectifying past injustices, that'll kind of tilt you away from thinking that war is such a, a great idea. After we humans meet our basic needs of you know, food, clothing, and shelter, and that sort of thing, it seems like we have this capacity to continue uh, devoting the same amount of uh, brain space to worrying about problems, however big those problems are. Could you talk about that just a little bit? Yeah, we do, uh, uh, we do tend to adapt to our current level of, uh, of comfort and always um, you know, you look downward to how much worse it can be. Uh, and so people do tend to take improvements in well-being in, in stride. Uh, so we're, pro we're not as grateful as we ought to be for, for things like you know, flush toilets, uh, electric light, uh, running water, things that, of course, people in the developed world are literally dying uh, because they don't have. Uh, but very few people wake up in the morning and flush the toilet and think, thank goodness I've got a flush toilet. Uh, but, but they really ought to, aside from the sheer pleasantness of, of uh, everyday existence, uh, flush toilets save lives. Uh, one of the major causes of premature death is cholera and other diseases that come from uh, uh, transmission of pathogens via human waste. But you know, it doesn't seem to affect our day-to-day -day mood, even though, objectively speaking, it really does affect our well-being. Some people just don't respond to the data. And you, you have a wealth of data in, over various books that uh, I think makes a very compelling case that we're living in a, in a relatively wonderful time on this planet. So is there anything you can tell people who just aren't going to respond to that data, who are going to see this immediate problem and 
are, in a sense, incapable of taking the long view that you lay out? Well, you know, I, begin, I give my, begin my book on this topic, The Better Angels of Our Nature, with a, uh, before I get to the hundred graphs and the, the hundreds of studies, with a um, qualitative narrative chapter uh, where I simply try to remind people from myth and literature and story and popular history of how gruesome a place the world used to be. Uh, you know, the fact that uh, if you riffle through the Old Testament, there's one genocide after another, uh, often ordered by God, that uh, you know, Jesus was put to death by crucifixion, not by lethal injection, that um, the medieval knights would chop off body parts and, and uh, rape unattached women as a matter of course. Henry VIII put to death two of his, his wives by uh, decapitation. Uh, the, the vice president and secretary of the treasury of the United States fought a lethal duel. Uh, there's a lot of violence that's woven into our cultural memory that people don't tend to remember when they think about what the world was like in the past. And that's before you even look at the statistics. So what is it that we can do to avoid some of our worst impulses as humans? There are naturally uh, awful things going on around the world, but taking the long view and uh, giving ourselves that perspective. Well, I think our intellectual and journalistic culture has to become more evidence-based, data-oriented, uh, quantitative. That the, the current practice of journalism, of um, report a story, ask a person on the street their uh, comments on the story, uh, and then a, a columnist or pundit um, tells people how to emote with regard to the story. That's not a way to give people an accurate understanding of the world. Uh, stories, uh, the events of the day should be put into historical context. By historical context, I don't mean you know the Roman Empire. I mean like the last 10 years, the last 20 years. Um, and they should be put in quantitative uh, perspective. And that also requires that our whole literary intellectual culture as well uh, be more quantitative. I lobbied for a stronger um, data and statistics requirement among Harvard undergraduates because I, I believe that being an educated person means thinking uh, statistically and quantitatively. And our intellectual elite just don't do that. Stephen Pinker is an advisor to humanprogress.org and is a professor of psychology at Harvard University. Read more about the long history of human progress at humanprogress.org and cato.org.